Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. Starry skies, see your hand in time, in mind to lead me through the night. Hello, listeners. Today's episode is called Mission Here. This episode focuses on serving in your own church and community, where you are at here and now. As an introduction, I would like to share a little about Living Faith Ministries Everett from our website, www.livingfaithministries.church. First, a little about our pastor. For more than 25 years, Travis and Rebecca Miller have served in local ministry roles and in organizational positions within the United Pentecostal Church International. Ministry opportunities have taken them to numerous locations in the U.S. and abroad. Preparing for ministry, they both completed coursework at Apostolic Bible Institute. In addition, Travis completed programs at Spring Arbor University and the University of Missouri-St. Louis. In January of 2013, Living Faith invited the Millers to serve as pastor. Moving to the Great Northwest has been incredibly exciting for these Midwesterners from Ohio, Minnesota, and Missouri and they view serving this community as an unbelievable honor. Pastor Miller is also the author of In Case You Were Wandering, and Independence is Overrated. Each is available as books, ebooks, and small group resources. Independence is Overrated is also available as an audiobook. Both can be found on Amazon. In their spare time, the Millers enjoy family, cycling, hiking, and reading. Our local church. Living Faith is located in Everett, Washington. Everett is the seventh largest city in Washington, located just 25 miles north of Seattle. At Living Faith, everything we do as a church centers around three fundamental concepts. We are one, loving our Savior, two, learning His ways, three, living faith daily. Our desire is that everyone involved with living faith grows consistently as disciples should. That growth should happen particularly in three different areas. One, in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Two, in our understanding of Him and His desires for us. And three, in our application that causes improved Christian living each and every day. It's a practical progression that we know will bless your life. We believe that church should be exciting, relevant, and most importantly, life-changing. Thus, when you attend a service at Living Faith, you will notice people just like you. In attendance are people who represent the various cultures and careers of our city and county. As you get to know us better, you'll find that none of us are perfect, but we endeavor to be disciples who are constantly improving in His kingdom. You'll discover people at various levels of personal discipleship. Here are some details about our meetings. Our Saturday service is designed to support loving our Savior. This service is inspirational and emphasizes our relationship with Jesus Christ. In this setting, many people will be dressed as if going to an important job interview, but there is also variety. Our service format involves typical elements of worship, connecting with others, 
an inspirational message, and a time to respond with prayer. We usually accomplish all of this in about 90 minutes. During the week, we meet in faith groups for an opportunity to discuss, share, and discover a topic of interest. For 10 to 12 weeks, 12 to 20 people meet once a week. During the quarter, the group also selects and plans one service project and one social activity that they will enjoy together. Weekly meetings last about 75 minutes. At the end of the quarter, faith groups are completed and members have the opportunity to join a new group the next quarter. If you would like to donate to our local church and help forward the mission of Living Faith Ministries Everett, you can go to www.livingfaithtabernacle.org backslash online dash giving. Or you can find our live sermons on YouTube and follow us here on Living Faith Podcast. And now, on to the message. considered global mission, our global mission, and also our North American mission. A couple of weeks ago, we enjoyed the ministry and burden of Jacob and Mandy Palma as they shared their vision for Uruguay. And uh, it was great to learn about their work for the kingdom, particularly in unreached areas of that country. And then last week, Jared and Kendra Yonkin were with us And his message, God's good purpose, was both inspiring and compelling. I thank God for families like these who give themselves completely to sharing the gospel of Jesus in under-churched areas. Similarly, I'm going to draw our attention today to the great state of Washington, our state, and in particular, our communities, places here that are are woefully under-churched. Areas that don't have discipling families that are intentionally sharing the salvation of Jesus Christ. So as we take this entire month to focus on mission, I've been asking you to prayerfully consider your participation. I've been asking you to talk to the Lord and say, what should I do with this knowledge? How should I respond? Perhaps your family is destined to minister in a country like Uruguay or a city like Phoenix. If not, I hope that you'll prayerfully and financially support those who do. I set out at the beginning of this month some envelopes on a table in the back. These little envelopes have numerical dollar amounts written on them. It's the invitation to give a one-time offering during this season of the year in December and January. We talk about, you see there, it says, give your best gift to Christ. My wife and I do this every year. In addition to our monthly missions giving, we give our, our best Christmas gift to Jesus. Last year, we gave $1,000. This year, we're going to give more. I'm not bragging. I want you to know that I'm not asking you to do something that we don't do. I want you to know we give by example. We give on a monthly basis to support missions in addition to all the other 
giving that we do. This church supports 10 families every month that are sharing the gospel around the world because we, not just me, but you and I, together, this church gives to missions. Perhaps you're wondering why are you asking or talking about both a one-time and a monthly missions giving? Well, the biggest reason is operational. We're, as a congregation, our organizational fellowship supports church planners in North America by collecting funds once a year and then distributing them throughout the year. Whereas our global missions operates on a different system, they collect funds every month and distribute them throughout the month. We just promote both of them at the same time of year. And whether you choose one-time support or monthly support or both, I'm asking you to join my wife and I prayerfully giving to missions. And I'd ask for you to think about of all the gifts you give this year, perhaps giving your best gift to Jesus and his work. But today, the topic of mission, we've done Mission Global, Mission North America. I want to talk about mission here, here. Jesus made his mission and our mission very clear. In John chapter 4, the scripture records this. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. According to verse 36, our mission is gathering fruit for eternal life. Our mission is an eternal harvest informing people about Jesus, leading people to Jesus, helping everyone to recognize Jesus' desire for each of us and our need for Him. Why, why is that mission important? Why does that matter? Again, we're gathering for eternal life, and, and Jesus taught the importance of eternal destinations. In Matthew 25 and 31, again, the words of Jesus. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him. He will separate them one from another. As a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, and He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. 34, the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you and from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Notice the extension, the reaching to other people. In verse 41, he talks to those that are on the left side. Depart from me, he says, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, 
you gave me no food. I was thirsty. You gave me no drink. I was a stranger. You did not take me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. According to Jesus, eternity involves two options, blessing or cursing. The Father's kingdom or everlasting fire. And the mission of the church, of disciples, is important because it's an eternal mission. There are everlasting results. Well, at what point? At what point, preacher, should I be concerned about that? Where, where in my kingdom development and where in my scriptural understanding should that be that be part of my consideration well in John 4 35 Jesus again do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest behold I say to you lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest none of us can say that harvest is for some time in the future in the kingdom of God, it's not harvest in the spring or harvest in the fall. It's harvest always year-round at all times. Jesus said that His mission matters right now. And when any of us wait, then the opportunity for everyone we engage is passed by. Now's the time to work in the eternal harvest. If I wait until next year to be concerned. Then what about the people I encountered in this year? If I wait until next week to be concerned for eternity and those around me, then what about their souls that I've encountered this week, that I've engaged every day? Here's the thing about Jesus. He didn't just give a teaching. He lived it out. And in this very chapter, in chapter 4, Jesus was directly involved in ministry with people before he ever shared this with his disciples. Earlier in that chapter, he directly spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well. He calls his disciples, look at the field, they're already white for harvest. And he had been doing exactly what he was now teaching to them. He saw the woman at the well. He realized the importance of eternity and he engaged her in kingdom conversation. For instance, in John 4 and verse 13, Jesus said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into ever lasting life. Eternity was on Jesus' mind. It was part of the conversation. It was what he wanted to address in the Samaritan woman. Now the cool thing is she heard the message of eternal life and she couldn't help but share the good news with those in her village. She just heard it. She just started believing in it. And in verse 39 the Bible says Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. Her testimony was, he told me all that I ever did. And so the Samaritans then came to Jesus. They urged him, stay with us. And 
He stayed there two more days and then many more people believed because Jesus interacted directly and they said, now we believe, not just because of what you said, we have heard it from him, we know he's the Christ, the Savior of the world. Jesus saw the harvest now. He spoke to the Samaritan woman now. He, once she believed, she told her village now. There was, there was no need to wait. And so just as Jesus said to his disciples, lift up your eyes, look at the fields. They are white, all ready for harvest. Lift up your eyes and look at the fields. This message today is a direct attempt to get us to look around. In our state, the state of Washington, there are 16 entire counties without a united Pentecostal church. In our state, there are eight cities of more than 50,000 people that don't have a United Pentecostal family sharing the gospel in that city. Let's look up. See the field. According to citydata.com, right here in Snohomish County, 69% of people claim no religious affiliation. No religious, they don't claim any religious affiliation. That means in this county, nearly 500,000 people right here report no faith practice. Seven out of ten. Look up, see the field. I'm inspiring every one of us today that when we're in the grocery store, look up from your list see the field when you're going through your favorite department store or the mall and you're trying to check off gifts on your list look up and see the field during your meetings at work whether you're in a conference room or around a table or it's a zoom meeting and you're just seeing faces on the screen will you look at the faces and and see the people because statistically Seven out of ten need what you and I have. Since my arrival here nine years ago, I have constantly directed specific prayer for places. We've prayed for Providence Hospital and Everett Community College and Naval Station Everett targeted. Why are you doing that? Why have you done that? Why do you repeat that? So I that prayerfully we would look up and see. I've provoked people to pray for groups, people groups, for Africans and Asians and Eastern Europeans and Hispanics. Why, why would you do that? So that we might hear Jesus' words, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They're already white, ready for harvest. What's my, what's my role in all of that? Jesus said in John 4 again, verse 36, He who reaps receives wages, gathers fruit for eternal life, 
And he talks about he who sows and he who reaps rejoice together. Here's the saying that's true, one sows, another reaps. He says, I sent you to reap for that for which you have not labored. Others have labored. You've entered into their labors. One sows, another reaps. I have to ask myself, which one am I involved in? How am I engaged in the sowing and reaping? You know, I do think it's interesting that there's no category in Jesus' teaching that says, or for another who just stands by. As I search the scripture and the expectations for Jesus' disciples, it's abundantly clear to me that we are responsible to other people. What I just read from scripture where Jesus separates the sheep and the goats, the sheep are the ones who saw needs and met them. The goats are the ones who saw needs and ignored them. We love to take the physical representation and apply that, and there's nothing wrong with that, but what's the spiritual implication? I'll talk about that more in a minute. We're responsible to help people find Christ and responsible to help one another to grow in Jesus Christ. There's no definitive word in the Bible from Jesus nor his apostles that says, however, if you don't help other people find me, no big deal, don't worry about it. I can't find that. One sows, another reaps. Every disciple has a role. I think the importance of this privilege of discipleship is made clear in an Old Testament account. In Numbers chapter 16, the Bible records this. In verse 46, Moses said to Aaron, Take a censer, put fire in it from the altar, put incense on it, and take it quickly to the congregation. Make atonement for them, for wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly Already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood, verse 48, between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting for the plague had stopped. As we read earlier, Jesus talks about determinations and judgment between sheep and goats. There is, there is judgment coming and issued and repeated in Scripture for those who do not follow Christ. As we read in this Old Testament account, the Lord is bringing judgment really to the goats that are among the Israelites at that time. And there is something within Moses and Aaron that says there's a way to stop that. Atonement. If some blood would be shed, placed over the lives, they don't have to die. Unless we reacted to what God has taught us all along, Moses said to Aaron, Act quickly. And Aaron ran into the assembly. Aaron stood between the dead and the living, and then the judgment stopped in those lies for which he intervened. Quickly. 
Moses and Aaron reacted. And they filled the gap. Why did they do that? So that people would live. So that people would live. I don't know about you, but the situation is still really fresh in my mind. In our worship service five weeks ago, I was making some comments beginning my message for the day. When to my right and your left, Mike Bennett fell over in the pew, unconscious. I, I remain so very thankful and proud of the response of so many in this church, in this congregation. Before I even noticed what was happening, others had been attentive. I didn't see him slump over. I saw the others going to help him. When I said to this congregation, something's up with Mike, we need to pray, church, immediately there was sincere, concerned prayer for Mike. Compassion. Action. His pulse was taken, 911 was dialed, the AED was secured, CPR was started, because when Mike's life was threatened, all attention was given to him to see his life saved. Maybe God is just messing with me. But maybe this is for all of us. Are we as aware and as concerned for eternal lives? Do we have the same compassion for those facing imminent judgment, do we quickly act? Are we running to the scene? Are we standing between eternal blessing and eternal judgment for folks who need to be delivered? We know there's an atonement. We know there's a way to skip out. Are we as interested and active in reaching to them? And do we mimic Moses and Aaron recognizing? And I I offer today, if we're not, why not? Why not? Recently, I've been listening to some, some wonderful stories about missionary Richard Denny. Rich told me this great story not long ago. Of course, Brother Denny spent many years in the Philippines and in the Pacific region serving Jesus' mission. At some point, I believe Rich said he thought it was Australia. Brother Denny was in an airport and he got into a conversation with a gentleman. And when the gentleman discovered that Brother Denny was a missionary, that he was going into the Philippines to tell people about Jesus and salvation, that the man got offensive. 
And the man began to berate or cock against Brother Denny. He said, you're trying to colonize the Philippines with your American culture. It was that man's view that it was wrong to bring Christianity to others. He thought Brother Denny should not try to evangelize. The man believed that telling others about Jesus was equivalent to forcing them to like American culture. That Rich remembers the nature of his dad's response. Conversation didn't end there. Missionary Denny looked at the man and asked, Hmm, haven't you helped this nation to build better roads? Have others come and help this nation improve their agriculture so they can better feed their families? Have countries taken medicine and medical advice to other areas to help them live healthier and longer lives? Is it proper to help them to secure and find clean water to improve their hygiene habits and there improve their health? Missionary Denny made his point very clear. If it's proper to offer people means to improve their natural lives, then it's proper to offer people the opportunity for eternal life. There's no disciples forcing Christianity on anybody. Just making the opportunity available. But we live in a society with that mindset that Brother Denny faced. That somehow it's wrong, it's bad, it's evil to tell people about Jesus. Hmm. I wonder how much that general societal attitude hinders you and I from talking to people about Jesus Christ. And I've just been thinking... Do we tell people if they're shopping for a particular device where they can find a good deal on that device? When I find a great app on my phone, do we tell other people about that great app? Do we talk to people about our favorite media or our most tasty recipes? Do we talk about the awesome fishing and hunting experiences and where they can find them too? Do we do we recommend our trusted automobile brands? Do we, do we tell people about our favored restaurants and neighborhoods or doctors? Why don't we face it? Social media is saturated with people recommending things to other people. Do we recommend Jesus? Do we recommend prayer? Do we recommend his word? i just been wondering, am I as convinced of Jesus as I am about my favorite vitamin supplement or brand of coffee? John 4 says, He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. And both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. And look at verse 38. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. 
Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Here's what's true about every one of us in this room. We have been sent here. Preacher, do you live there because you love the government structure and the policies and the way it operates there in, in Washington? Preacher, do you live there because you love the court, cultural values and the way people operate and the things they stand for and believe in? Oh, I live here because it's my mission. Wouldn't you like to live someplace where everybody's God-fearing Christians with right values and upholding the truth? Absolutely. The place is called heaven. Until then, we are on a mission. Uh, until then, we have been called of God to share His truth with everybody we possibly can. My mission is here. Your mission is here. We live, work, and do business here. I invite us to confidently stand in the gap and talk about Jesus to as many people as possible. I come against, in the name of Jesus, that attitude that I cannot talk about him. In the name of Jesus, I come against the fear of speaking about power of prayer and the word of God. In the name of Jesus, I come against hesitation in our minds and spirits. Not once when I have asked people, would you, would you, can I pray about that? Have they told me no? Never. You know, I've confessed this previously. I, I, I like automobiles. I like to watch YouTube videos about cars. My wife says, oh my word, you're nuts. She says that about a lot of things, but particularly about my video selection. I, I like watching about racing cars, about collecting cars, about finding cars, about restoring cars. I like modifying cars and modern cars and classic cars and European cars and American cars. I'll even watch things about motorcycles sometimes. I I'm interested in cars. It's something I've noticed on YouTube. When those channel creators want to extend their influence and reach more people, they'll either start the video or interrupt the video or conclude the video by asking three things. Please subscribe, like, and share. Subscribe, like, and share. You know what? In all the videos I've watched, which is probably way too many, I've never been offended by that invitation. They get on the screen, they're smiling. Hey, you like the content? Subscribe, like, and share. I, I guess what I'm saying is this. It seems to me that we can do the same for Jesus Christ. 
I, I'm a subscriber. I like it, and I just want to share. I can say it with the same smile as those content creators. I, I can say it with the same friendly invitation. I'm just offering the possibility and the opportunity. Would you subscribe, like, or share? Because Jesus Christ has incredible content for every individual here around us and around the world. Subscribe, like, and share. I'd like you to think about that at work this week. I'd like you to think about that while you're shopping this week. Subscribe, like, and share. I'd like you to think about that when you grab a bite to eat this afternoon. I'd like you to think about that when you're down on the Everett waterfront hanging out with the rest of the folks and doing some ice skating and grabbing some food. I'd like you to think about subscribe, like, and share. I think it'd be fitting that we just pray like we did earlier in this service. In Jesus' name. I am tired of making excuses for God. Instead, I'm going to say, in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, we come to you right now. By your name and by your power and by your authority. Lord, we come against our hesitancy. We come against, Lord, our lack of awareness. We come against, oh Lord, being overwhelmed. Whatever the things are that have been going on that have prevented me from sowing and reaping. Lord, we come in your name, the name above every name. We come, oh Lord, recognizing that it is your will that we walk in your plan, that we fulfill your purpose. And we're trusting, Lord, in your power and your will and your direction. Lord, remind me today, every day this week and in the days ahead, subscribe, like, and share. Subscribe, like, and share. Can you say in Jesus' name? You've been listening to the Living Faith Everett podcast series. Tune in next week for the next part of this series, or join us online at livingfaithministries.church.